Well, hello, y'all. Uh, welcome. Welcome to RUF. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name's Simon. I would love to hang out and uh, spend some time with you if I can. Um, this is RUF. This is a fellowship of people who don't exist for themselves. Um, it's a place um, where we come because we believe that God has died for us and loved us in our sins, and He sends us out in the world to love and die to ourselves and to care for the people um, here at UNC and further on down the road, the people we meet in life, um, whether you're in the church or not. Um, so yeah, uh, Anna Grace and Eric are out of town this week uh, until tomorrow afternoon, but I'm still around. I hope you all had a great uh, fall break, um, restful, whether you went to the mountains or the beach or the fair. Uh, we did a fair, and that was good. <laughs> Except when my daughter uh, just unloaded in her diaper. <laughs> Challenging. Challenges. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I don't think anyone expected that when I had a kid, there'd be so much poop talk up here. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Let's get started. Um, I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> so I never really considered myself uh, like an athlete per se. Like growing up, uh, I didn't expect. Yeah, you're laughing. I didn't expect myself. <laughs> you never did either. Uh, I didn't expect myself to get like a scholarship to college or anything like that. Um, I was never great at any any sport that I did particularly well. I played soccer in high school, but not that great. Um, but for some reason, basketball I thought it was kind of my sport, like low contact. Um, I worked it worked okay for someone my size and the people that I played with. And when I went to college, I went to like this small private liberal arts school. And so I actually like, was allowed to live in this fantasy land where I was pretty good at basketball. Um, but it wasn't because I was good, it was because everyone around me was just terrible. Um, but that, that fantasy was shattered not too long after I graduated from college and a few years later moved to St. Louis where I met some friends and uh, we decided to join a county rec league for basketball. And we didn't want to do city because we thought city would be too hard, so we did county instead. But we didn't do the, like, the JV thing. We wanted like the legit, you know, you're, you're decent at basketball level. And so we started, we had our basketball team. We called ourselves the Fundamentalist, which we thought was pretty clever. It's not. It was never clever. Uh, but we thought to ourselves, you know, no one on our team is going to dunk. That's fine. Like, we're probably not going to, like, win the playoff. That's fine. But, like, we'll be decent. We'll be a threat to somebody out there. Well, the games start going, and we lose, like, our first few games. But, like, 10 or 15 points. Not, like, terrible. Like, kind of, like, still in the realm of possibility that you could win. But we didn't win. Uh, <laughs> and I'm still laboring under this illusion that I can play basketball. I can turn this thing around, like, I, had a, I actually texted a friend about the stage, like, make sure you tell them that you were the high score on our team for the season, which, I mean, is bad. <laughs> um, but there aren't any teams out there that I'm looking at and thinking, like, no way do we have a chance against any of these guys. Um, but somehow, somehow to me at the time, game after game after game, we lose. And it starts to get to the point where it's towards the end of the season, and we haven't won any games yet. And we start. We entered this last kind of last few games, and we were playing this team that we knew was pretty good. And we were thinking, all right, this is our chance to turn around. Like this is where, like, comeback kids, like Hoosiers is about to happen. Like this is gonna be awesome. Uh, tip off happens. We don't get the ball. 
We have some missed shots, a few broken plays, and within the first five minutes, though, we're down by almost 20 points. I mean, it's just, it's bad. And we try to rally, we try to get the plays back going, we try to get some layups happening. Uh, by halftime, we're down by 60 points. Yeah, that's bad. And it's at that moment that the other team kind of looks at the scoreboard and realizes the same thing that we realized, which is this, that if they worked real hard, they could put over 100 points on us without too much trouble. So halftime ends, we get going in there, and we're thinking, all right, this is Globetrotters like, territory. We cannot let this happen. We try to stop them. Uh, we move from man uh, D into zone. We get a couple more rebounds. We stay hydrated. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, as an athlete, let me tell you, it's the most important part of each sport. <laughs> but this was a league without a mercy rule, and so there was no mercy given. And at the end, I can still remember looking up at the end of the game at that scoreboard and seeing the final score as something which is... I think it was like 25 to 127. Like, they demolished us. And the cherry on top was, as we were going at the end of the line, or coming in to line up and kind of shaking hands and, you know, being sportsmen. Um, the other guy, another guy from the team, cannot make eye contact with me. He's so embarrassed. He, cannot, he just shakes my hand. He's like, man, I'm so sorry. That's the worst beat I've ever given to anybody. <laughs> and in that moment, like, every delusion of mine that I could play basketball decently well was just shattered. And it's, honestly, it's just never recovered. <laughs> um, I tell that story because oftentimes we can realize how bad we are at something when we compare ourselves to how good something really is. Like, we don't realize how bad we are until we have that comparison. That we need someone to do it right, or at least to tell us what's right before we're realizing, you know, what am I doing wrong? That doesn't mean that they're going to just tell you how to do it right, but at least you get a sense for what you're doing wrong here. Here in, uh, in Galatians, Paul has been kind of working through what does it mean for the gospel of grace to be present? What does it mean that God loves us? And he looks at this and he says, you know, really to, first, to understand grace, you really have to understand your inability. You have to understand your sin. And so he's talking here, and he's talking about God's law, the Ten Commandments. And he's saying that it's like this mirror. It's like this standard on how, not just to live, but like where, where we can't make it. Like where we fall short. And he says that the, the law is there to show us our inability so we turn to something else besides ourselves. Something else besides our own strength, our own power, our own wisdom. And I think our problem is that, like, like me, we labor under the delusion that we don't need to see ourselves. Or that we're better than we actually are. But if we don't actually look at ourselves and look honestly at our, our own stuff, then we'll never look at faith. We'll never look in faith at anything else. So tonight I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about the purpose of the law. And I want to talk about the purpose of faith. The purpose of the law, the purpose of faith. Um, so read with me Galatians 3, 21 through 28. And also, I just want to say, too, before we start, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but when Paul talks about that we're all sons, um, he's quite aware that there are women in the church in Galatia, and he's very on board with that. But what he means here is that when you enter into faith with Christ, that God gives you exactly what Jesus has. Which means he doesn't take away the differences in gender, 
or who you are or anything like that, but that he gives you everything that Jesus is, even his sonship. The fact that God looks at you and says, you are as right with me as my son, that that can't change. And so he's saying, this is just shorthand for him saying that everything that Jesus is, is now yours through faith in him. So I just want to say that before we read Galatians 3, 21 through 28, and get started. So if you would, here we go. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's pray and think on God's word together. Father, thank you for your word, um, that we have it, that it's true, that it's reliable, that we can trust you with it. Lord, that if what you said in it is true, that we can wrap our lives around that. Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight to give up on our own strength, our own power. Lord, that you would show us our inability. Lord, not so that we would despair and fall apart, but God, so that we would cling to you. And know the one true and living God who promises to make us right with himself. And he gives everything that's Jesus's. In his name we pray. Amen. You know, I think a lot of times people can approach God as if there was some kind of bargain to be made. And the laws that he's given in the Bible are parts of that bargain that he just kind of wants you to fulfill. Like, you do your part, he'll do his part, and we'll kind of all be done here in the end. Like, God, I'll work hard, I'll be a good person if you overlook my materialism. Or God, if I make the effort to get up and go, go to church on Sunday, then you need to wipe away what I did on Friday night. That we try to deal with our guilt by striking a bargain with God. The problem is that this doesn't really take into account our nature, our natural inability. That we desire not to actually fulfill that bargain. And we can't fulfill it. We're in, unable to do that. And I think what's interesting about all this is that recently, I think our culture has really gotten into into this idea, even though they may not call it by the same names that we call it, like sin, but think about the stories that are told on television or in movies and how they reflect human nature. Think about some of the biggest television shows the last five years, like Mad Men, Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, Barney and How About Your Mother, every single character from Game of Thrones, <laughs> House of Cards, uh, True Detective. I mean, think about all these shows out here and the way they portray human nature. They portray the way that we are and they, how real they feel. You can really relate to these characters. You know, in a culture that values authenticity and relatability, we're just kind of done with, like, leave it to beaver, hokey, phony-style stories because they just don't feel true to who we are or what we experience. We like our stories gritty because deep down we're gritty people. Like, even if you grew up in the suburbs and carry, you're gritty. Maybe not on the outside, but on the inside you are. When stories feel like most true life is when I think they're dealing with people's sin 
and they're saying, you know, this is just the reality of every person. Now, on some level, we're all Don Draper. We can get that. On some level, we're all Walter White. We're all Francis Underwood. We're all Robin Shabatsky. Like, this is just the reality for every person. Look at verse 21 here. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. If there was a way for us to earn life, then God would have given it. But the problem is that for me, I think for all of us, the seed of every sin lies in our heart. Like, there's no evil action that I'm not capable of doing. And which, at least in my heart, the place that God sees and deals with, that I actually do, or which I haven't already done. And you don't want to deal with that because you don't want to deal with the reality of who you are. I don't want to deal with that. But if we never deal with the weight of our personhood, then you'll never deal with the weight of your sin and guilt. All right, think about this. Have you ever had a roommate who just seemed clueless about how to live with people? Like, don't raise your hands or look around, but have you, has that ever been your experience? Uh, <laughs> you just rub someone's shoulders? <laughs> they, like, never cleaned up their dishes, uh, or you'd be trying to go to bed early for your 8 a.m., and they'd be playing music and doing, like, squat thrusts to, like, a, a video in the room, or, like... Or worst case scenario, you got sextile. Like, has that ever been your experience? Like, what breaks against us about that is not even they aren't like self-aware. Yeah, sextile. Sorry, I use that word. <laughs> is that still current? <laughs> it's that they. The our problem is not that they aren't self-aware. It's that they don't care. They like not doing the dishes. They don't give a rip if you sleep in your room or not. They just don't care. And that grates on us. And we can tell, tell ourselves, well, you know, that's just not me. I'm better than that. But man, have you ever been in a close relationship with someone and just felt like, oh, like, when we get close, like, things happen. I see stuff about me that I don't like. Like, have you ever dated someone and things are going well and you're getting to know one another better and, like, the physical stuff starts going and you start to kiss and kissing turns into making out and you're lying down next to one another and then clothes are coming off, and suddenly you're doing things with the person you never thought you'd do, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm not this kind of person. This is not what I want to be doing, and yet I'm doing it. And it's not once, but it becomes something you do over and over and over again, and you love it, and you hate it. Because it breaks the law that God made you for, and not living under that hurts us, but you love it, because there's a part of you that just wants to do what you want to do. Man, that's hard. And relationships, friendships, being roommates with people is hard because it's when you enter into a relationship with people that it really holds up a mirror to your heart and to the sin that lies there. Like, I didn't know I was such a selfish person until I saw how my selfishness impacted other people. I didn't know that I was an angry person until people crossed my will. And then I was like murdering people in my heart. When it's just us, it's easy to hide those things from ourselves. When it's just us, it's easy to pretend they're not a big deal. But when someone else is there pointing out your stuff, then it's really hard to avoid. And this is what the law does. It shows us ourselves. Look at verse 22 here. The scripture imprisoned... Everything under sin, 
so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The purpose of the one who gives the Scriptures, God, is shown by what the law does. And the purpose of the law is that people would clearly see their inability to make bargains with God and would turn to Him with an understanding of their own need. That sin is not just this thing that I do, but it's part of the way that I am. And that apart from God's work, I don't just sin, but I'm a sinner. And the law takes us by the hand and says, Do you see your need? Do you see your inability? I just want to be honest with you. I just want us to be real. So if that's the purpose of the law, what's the purpose of faith? Have you ever been to summer camp? I feel like this is North Carolina, so everyone at some point has been to summer camp or worked there. I'm, I went to space camp because I'm a nerd, but I did like three years in a row. I never went to a real camp. Uh, <laughs> but I was living out astronaut fantasies, which is pretty great. Um, but I was once talking to a friend who had been in charge of lifeguarding for a camp that he was working at. And so he had to train and get certified in rescuing people who were drowning. And this was a while back ago, so I don't know if this, it's like this anymore. But we were talking about his experience, and he told me he'd been really surprised to find that in his training, they told him that, someone was, that when someone was in trouble out in the water, and you went to go rescue them, that you couldn't, you couldn't really help them until they'd stopped struggling. Because otherwise, you ran the risk of them panicking and grabbing you and dragging you underwater, and then there's two drowning people. And it wasn't until someone had given up the ability to save themselves. Or someone had stopped struggling and stopped thrashing that they could finally be saved, he said. And I thought about that, and I was like, wow, that's pretty intense. Um, but I also thought about, like, okay, what would it be like on the other end for that person who was actually drowning? I think that it would be crazy to stop struggling if they were just by themselves in the water. Like, if you're by yourself, then of course thrash, and of course struggle. Like, don't go quiet in that night. But if someone is right there to save you, then it makes sense that the quicker you stop struggling to save yourself, then the quicker you'll be saved by the one who has the power to save. The law shows us our sin. It points us towards our inability, and it shows us that on our own we are drowning. So what do you grab hold of when you lose faith in yourself? Like, my morality, my ability to get things done just points back to me, which is, you know, not reliable. When we lose faith in ourselves, what do we get? We get faith in something better than ourselves, or something bigger than ourselves, or at least something other than ourselves. And the point of the law is to show us, ideally, that we would get faith in God's work on our behalf. Look here at verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Paul's point in this is that if your faith is in Jesus... And you can't be disqualified for any reason. Like the things that he throws out here, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, like those were the biggest barriers in society and in culture 2,000 years ago. In some ways, they still are big things for us now. But his point is that none of these things disqualifies you. None of these things separates you. None of these things changes your relationship even to one another. Because if you're in Christ, you get Jesus' stuff. So, temptations you face towards same-sex attraction does not disqualify you. The guilt that you feel for struggling over and over again with the sin of pornography does not disqualify you. 
this is going to sound crazy because people have told you something different your whole life, but you don't have to go out into the world and get a Fulbright scholarship and solve California's drought crisis, two PhDs, adopt six orphans, launch a nonprofit, and drive a Prius in order to have value and be a righteous person in the world. Jesus does that for you. And the purpose of the law and the purpose of faith is that you'd be united to the one person who in every way has done the thing that God's law demands. The one who is truly righteous. The one who when we were drowning is swimming laps around us and saves us. And that you would share in everything that he has. And all the distinctions that we make about ourselves or between ourselves whether that's what we do or we don't do or where we're from or where we're not from or issues of even race or gender, those things fade away when compared to what God has done for you on your behalf and what you receive through Him. I listen to other preachers, um, often, because I'm not a great one, but I listen to other preachers, and I had uh, a guy say recently this question. I thought it was really good. He asked... You know, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? And some people could say, you know, it's someone who reads the Bible, someone who goes on mission trips, uh, it's someone, depending on where your, what your perspective is, who's either a very moral person or a very immoral person. And he points out, you know, Christians are not defined by what they do. Christians are defined by who they are. That a Christian is someone who looks inside themselves and sees the stuff that's there, and instead of despair, they look at what Jesus has done on their behalf. They look inside themselves, and instead of despair, they see what Jesus has done for them. You know, at the start of this service, we did a call to worship. And in that call to worship, there's a prophecy about God's servant. And it said this, that Jesus promises that he will not break bruised reeds. That he does not break broken people. That on the cross, he was broken so that you could be put back together. So that you could be a son or a daughter of God. So that you would have everything that's his. And he's broken for that. And the law shows us our inability and our faith points us towards this thing. That you, through faith in Jesus, are one of God's children. And as somebody who just became a father, man, that is just blowing my mind this week. Because when Emery was born and she was put in my hands for the first time, I immediately had the sense that, you know, here's someone I've just met and I would automatically die for this person. Like, I love her with my whole heart. And I know that as a new dad, like, that is just one fraction of one percent of one one millionth, if that, of what God feels towards you, his children. And that is so powerful. That is so rare. And so needed for us now. And all you need to receive Him is to see your need of Him. That He doesn't break bruised reeds. He doesn't smoke or doesn't quench the smoking flax. But that He loves His people. And so the question the law asks us is, do you see your need? And then do you see how good He is? For the non-Christian here, what I would say is this, I know this is a lot, but keep struggling. Keep asking questions. You know, if you feel like you're drowning and you're by yourself, I don't blame you for keeping struggling. I don't blame you for that. 
But keep looking. Keep seeing if there isn't someone there that you can grab onto. Someone that's stronger. Someone that's there for you. See what we mean when we talk about this Jesus guy. Why did he die? What did he do for us? For the Christian who's struggling, which is all of us, you know, keep struggling. And then keep finding that, you know, I can't do this. Over and over and over again. And lean on him. Grab him. Know that he is right there next to you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? That it's God who has you. That if you were drowning and you let go, He's the one that grabbed you. It wasn't you that grabbed Him. He's for you. And He's after you. He pursues you. On days when you feel like this, on days when you feel like this. On days when you're taking selfies, and days when you don't even want to look at yourself in the mirror. He's always for you. He's always after you. That He loves you and cares for you and you're His children. So rest in that. Love people out of that. Pursue people out of that. Man, look at the one who saves. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. Um, you do wonderful things through your word. You do wonderful things through your son Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would meet us in our need. I pray that as we struggle with faith, as we struggle with who you are and what you do, Lord, that we would come to an end in ourselves. And we see that the end of that struggle is trusting you, is resting in your Son, in his work for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us in our hearts. I pray that you would help us in our minds. I pray that you would help us as we go out this week and love and serve one another. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.